While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. So what was what was your favorite children's book growing up? What did you read the most of? My favorite children's book. Did you did you have a book that you were like, "Mommy, Daddy, I'm going to bed and read this book." There were apparently I really liked the little engine that could. That was a big one. Okay. Okay. And I think I can. I Even I yeah, can. even though I couldn't read yet. <laughs> I had the book memorized to the point where if my parents skipped parts of it because oh, they no. didn't want to read it for the 500th time, I would get really mad. I'll I'll talk about my favorite books in just a second, but that is one thing about little kids that is real obnoxious is that like that comfort level they get with a certain, you know, piece of media that they memorize. Like my friend's little brother memorized Free Willy. Man, we watched The Little Mermaid so many times. Like, that was more my sister's jam, but we all just watched it together anyway. Yeah. So the, the best thing about him memorizing Free Willy is you could turn the sound off and you could just leave him in front of it. But then you could walk over. He'd be mouthing all the words. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, one of the earliest books I remember being real into was Mike Mulligan and his Steam Shovel. Do you, did you ever read that book? Mike Mulligan and his Steam Shovel. Describe it to me. I might be thinking of like Clay Henry or something. <laughs> the book is the cover's red. I don't know. The guy had a had like an old fashioned steam shovel. It was about like new technology, I think. And as he's digging it, it gets like trapped inside the construction site because it's digging down and down and down. And then they have to get like an, another steam shovel to dig it out. And it was I don't know. About the love between a man and his machine, huh? I'm th- who am I thinking of? I'm because I'm. <laughs> I had to walk it back a couple steps. I'm thinking of that story where there's like a there's like a machine that will drill through a mountain, and then there's this guy who's really strong who's like, oh, I can drill faster than that machine, but and he does, but then he dies at the end. Paul Bunyan. Paul Paul Bunyan? Are no. you sure? Paul no. Bunyan is an American treasure. He's a giant man <laughs> with a big blue ox. I, he also um, has a log flume. I thought his name Okay, let me let me walk back through the steps. I okay. said Clay Henry. Yes. Who I had confused with Henry Clay, who I thought it actually was. Did you mean Cassius Clay? No. But I thought Clay Henry because of that subway ad with that guy named Clay Henry in it. Oh my god. <laughs> like 15 year old. My favorite subway. children's book was Jared the Subway Guy. Has Come he written on. a book? I feel no. like I can just see him on the cover of a book with like a big pair of pants. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. And my name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And each week we read a book uh, and then we talk about it. Usually only one of us reads it and we tell the other one about it. Uh, this week we're doing something slightly different, but still within our overall oeuvre. Uh, we're celebrating <laughs> Children's Book Week, 
which is some sort of national holiday that dates back to the 19-teens. And happened, I think, last week. No, we are recording this this on the last day of Children's Book Week. Okay, so by the time you're listening to it, it will have been last week. Yeah, you messed up. You should have been reading children's books all week. (laughs) What were you doing? Um, so we're going to talk about two Dr. Seuss books today. Andrew, which one did you read? I read Lorax. And I read Oh, the Places You'll Go. Uh, we kind of centered on Dr. Seuss because it, it seemed like a, we should have read the, you know, it kind of fits into our mission pretty well. Yeah, like I'm not sure how I missed the Lorax and I don't. Like, I know you graduated from high school, so I'm not sure how you avoided all the places you'll go. But I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, a little while ago, we were soliciting, you know, children's book suggestions from listeners. And so I kind of want to just share some of them because I think some of them will make pretty good books for the show if, if they haven't already gotten on our list already. Um, Allison suggested A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Have you ever heard of that book, Andrew? Um, I feel like I've... I either own a ratty old copy of it or I read it so long ago that I forget everything about it. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like a really uplifting story about poverty and alcoholism. I'm not quite I think, sure. Yeah, I think I might be um I might be misremembering. I think I'm thinking of a separate piece which I have read. Oh god. We're not, we, thank god that I've read that book. We're never going to cover bummer that books. bummer book on this show. <laughs> uh she also su- suggested The Phantom Tollbooth, which I think is on your list right now. Yeah, I put it on my list. I thought about reading it for this episode, but we talked about it, and we think it's probably too long to share the stage with with another book. Yeah. Um, Alex suggested The Golden Compass. I've never read any of those books. All I know is from the movie trailers. There's a big bear or something. I think there's a compass of some kind. (laughs) It better be golden. Uh, Lindsay suggested A Wrinkle in Time, which is one of my favorite books. Oh, I do Uh, like that one. Black Beauty, which I've never read, because... I was a boy when I was little, <laughs> growing up. Uh, there was never a sign or anything. She also suggested something called I Spy Spooky House, which I don't know what that is. You ever, what? Are you... I My memory of the I Spy books is that they're like, where's Waldo, except you have to find specific objects in a big picture full of objects oh that sounds great now i don't know if i spy spooky house is the same <laughs> is the same concept but if it is i'm not sure how we would talk about that all right i don't know um did you find the the pencil eraser i found it, it was i found on page did three. you find the eyeglasses <laughs> it was in the moon um three to where's waldo <laughs> that'd be great uh regina suggested a chair for my mother and uh, the Fault in Our Stars, which I I haven't read either of those books. I don't know what they are. Do you? No. No, no you're making know. a face like you don't know. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Jenny suggested a children's book called A Squirrel's Tale, which I want to mention only because it was like an. She told me about it. it was an interactive book where like there was a cut like a cutout of a squirrel that you would move through the pages. Like there were holes in each page. You know what I mean? Yeah. So who punned it first? Was it American Tale or Squirrel's Tale first? <sighs> I I don't know, but I'm gonna give Fivel the rule. Like you're gonna look it up, but I'm gonna side with Fivel. He how is. Do you know how old the squirrel book is? No clue. No clue at all. All right, you can you can keep going. Okay, well, and then the that. last one, uh, which I think is funny, is a book called Sam's Potty. Have you ever read Sam's Potty? <laughs> I can't say as I have. <laughs> Here's the tagline for Sam's Potty. 
In this funny picture book, a toddler named Sam, who knows what he wants, learns to be <laughs> proud of his new potty. <laughs> That's awesome. I assume he wants to pee. He, he wants to pee pee. He in the knows potty. what he wants. Give me that sandwich. Give me that book. <laughs> I want a truck. For the record, uh, Squirrel's Tale was first. It was 1984. And American Tale was uh, 1986. Oh, man. Rip off. Five loses out. How many of the Wrinkle in Time books did you read? Just the first one? Because there were a bunch of them. Three. I read uh, Wrinkle in Time, Winded in the Door, uh, which I did not find very interesting. Okay. And They got weird. A Swiftly Tilting Planet, which is the one where... The I think her brother like yeah Charles Wallace is starts hanging out with a unicorn, and he goes into other people's bodies. And that book is real weird. I think I stopped in the fourth book, which is called Many Waters, and it was just her her like twin brothers were in Bible times. Oh no, they didn't. None of them really seemed to. I don't know that Wrinkle of Time is quote unquote fun book. <laughs> They seemed to be a little more serious and, and less fanciful, which I suppose is one of those things where it's like you kind of like the Harry Potter series. You read a series and it kind of grows up with the person reading it. But yeah, I, I would have know. to read them again. But I remember them. I mean, Wrinkle in Time was plenty weird, but they kept getting weirder. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that part in Wrinkle in Time where they like went to that one dimensional or two dimensional planet? No. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it was. A good follow up to that, uh, Andrew. Let's talk about Doctor Seuss. Yeah, you know who was cool, Doctor Seuss. He was well, pretty, mostly. He mostly was cool. mostly cool. Uh, mostly cool and a little just an itsy bit racist. You, when we were getting ready to record this, you just texted me and you said Doctor Seuss is going to be fun to talk about. <laughs> <Yeah>. Why? <laughs> why don't you tell me why you think that? He was just he lived a very long life and he was producing work for most of it basically. Um he mm-hmm. got his start doing uh, mostly advertisements and then um you know he was doing children's books um pre and post World War 2. Um he started doing really young children's books with the uh, Cat in the Hat which was um I think 1954 or 56. That sounds about right. Um, and that was, um, that was, he did it kind of on a bet or like as a challenge to himself, he was given a list of words by a friend that the friend thought that all young children should know to like start out with. Yeah. It was like 200, 225 words or something, right? Yeah. It was like, it was 200. The original list was 300 something. It was cut down to 250. And then the cat in the hat uses, um, 236, I think, of okay. them without sacrificing Seuss's, like, style, which I thought was kind of a neat thing. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And then he, um, you know, a lot of his books have morals. Um, Susanna and I actually got into a um, discussion about this last night, um, talking about the line between a story with a moral and something that was propaganda, and I don't, I don't know if that's <laughs> a line we want to draw, but I think... Um, well, Dr. Well, well, Seuss kind of dances around it a lot. Yeah, and and he was quoted as saying that he was not writing stories with morals. He was just writing stories that people should know, even though I think he admitted that certain that good stories generally have some kind of moral quality to them. Yeah, or they're um, making a statement about the world. And I, I guess I I find his work interesting because he's writing for kids, but he doesn't pull these narrative punches. 
And he, you know, the books are also interesting for kids and for adults, which I think a lot of the best children's entertainment is because the kids can read it and like all the silly made up words and the colorful drawings and then adults can read it and be like, oh, that's about <laughs> that's about fascism. Yeah, right. Well, he started <laughs> he started doing cartoons and, and other writings like when he was at Dartmouth um, doing it writing for their humor magazine or or whatever. Um, which is where the name Dr. Seuss came from. He got in trouble because they threw a party, and so he wasn't ar- allowed to write for the paper for the paper anymore. Well, he so, got caught drinking. To be well, specific, it yeah, wasn't. They specific. just didn't just party and like yeah. get in trouble for partying. Um, and so he came up with the name Dr. Seuss, which I guess he'd used somewhere else. But originally, it was pronounced Zois. Did you write? Did you yes. find that? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> and then because. It, People kept calling it Seuss and it rhymes with Mother Goose or whatever, you know, anecdotal reason you want to use. He changed it to Seuss. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even he was doing political cartoons and and other short humor writing. So it's not it's not hard to imagine the leap to kind of allegorical children's books inspired by current events. <laughs> yeah. In a way. Yeah, he did. He did like 400 political cartoons um mostly world war ii era and um and we can we can we should link those up because they're you know some of them were published in a book called dr seuss goes to war and then the other half are uh, mostly available on a website we should link that up on our facebook and twitter pages because it's you know it's it's this art done in a dr seuss style but it's about like hating japanese people and buying bonds oh my god (laughs) It's a little different than what you normally get from him. Yeah, it's interesting because he was liberal. He was a supporter of Roosevelt and the New Deal. Yeah. I mean, I I would say he was on the right side of history most of the time. On the left side of history. Am I right? So to speak. (laughs) You know, he wasn't a fan of the House of Un-American activities. Um, He... At one point, there was some kind of reference to he drew a cartoon where like the USSR was carrying our like war effort like a porter or something. Like he seemed to recognize that we needed to have a relationship with Russia. Yeah, and then later the Butter Battle book was all about was a big criticism of the Cold War. Yeah. Um. I don't know. What else do you want to talk about, Doctor Seuss? He just he he supported Japanese internment. And then he, he came around on it, though. He, Did he? Horton, here's a who, man. It's okay. all. It's his like capitulation for, uh, our you know after witnessing our occupation of Japan post World War II, and there's that whole spot where they drop the tiny planet with all the who's on it in a field. Huh. You know. All right. <laughs> I think whether or not he. Still thinks he still thought he was correct about that activity. I think he was probably a little uh, remorseful over the fact that we slaughtered millions of people. I mean, <laughs> maybe I don't. I don't know that we slaughtered as many people as we just imprisoned. Well, that's, that's in also internment camps. <laughs> unfortunate. That's very unfortunate. Um, yeah, like even if Horton hears a who kind of walks it back a little bit, I still feel like you know seeing all. Uh, and he, I don't know if this is a direct quote or if this is just paraphrasing of something, but he 
said or thought, but he basically thought that all Japanese people were just like traitors waiting to happen. <laughs> like all Japanese American people. Uh, so it's it's hard uh, to like I don't wanna he seems like he was mostly a cool guy and he did a lot of children's books and his books still routinely outsell new children's books like today. Yes. So, <laughs> so obviously I think his his net contribution to the culture was was mostly good, but there's I think there's that tendency when people produce like great art or like lasting art to brush the the bad stuff about them under the rug. Well, and it's yeah, it's worth noting that there's <laughs> that there's troubling things that he said publicly <laughs> and work that he produced uh but then you look at where that is in in the kind of the timeline of his bibliography and that's relatively early right and then he spends the rest of his time uh kind of creating these allegorical tracks on you know equality and and environmental responsibility and whether or not you could ever say that he's actually making up for some less than uh seemly thoughts <laughs> You know, positions. I think they uh, usually say unseemly. When... Well, you know. <laughs> it's like partially seemly. Is partially, that what you're saying? Sort of seemly. Um, but I, I think I think the scales tip in his favor overall. Yeah, I would say. there. Are, okay, three more short things that I thought were funny or interesting. And then okay, you, can, you can say anything that you'd. Also I mean, think is funny or if you're gonna, then we can move on. If you want me to, I don't care. Whatever. Okay. Um, there is a book that he wrote called Marvin K. Mooney. Will you please go now? That's about like sending a kid to bed. Oh yeah. And then yeah, and then in 1974, I think, um, toward the end of Watergate, like a week and a half before Nixon resigned, he crossed out every he took a copy of the book crossed out every instance of uh, marvin k mooney and wrote richard m nixon will you please go now yeah that's pretty good <laughs> which that... i thought was which i thought was good um <laughs> that's a pretty pretty uh, uh, between the, the on the line that's between morals and propaganda <laughs> sure yeah. we know where that one lies maybe i only had two things the other thing um is that he was childless for his his you know entire life and the quote from him on the subject is you have them i'll entertain them oh my god that's great <laughs> i know well you also gave that a very aggressive reading <laughs> you you with your kids you, you have them i'll entertain them <laughs> i'm positive that he was tired of being asked about it. I, I assume that he delivered it forcefully when he delivered it. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, I also want to point out that one of his first books as Dr. Seuss is tied, is a collection of, of shorter stories and jokes and etc. called The Pocket Book of Boners. Which I, I kind of just wanted to say out loud so that Andrew would laugh. Make of that while you will. <laughs> Uses an older an older definition of the word boners um, that perhaps we should bring back. I just I think that we should keep it all exactly as it is, except just read it as read the new meaning instead of the old meaning. Great, sounds good. <laughs> uh, I think also one of the other things that it's worth noting for Dr. Seuss um, and is is the meter of his rhyme. Right, it's 
anapestic tetrameter, Andrew? Do you know what that okay. means? Um, I know that I really like anapesto sauce on my on my oh pasta. My God, I made an anapesto <laughs> pizza yesterday. It was pretty oh, good. You? Yeah. Um, no, I was hoping you would talk about this because I saw it, but I have no hope of explaining it to anybody. So, uh, so anapests are uh, a poetic foot, uh, which you can read about that a little bit more if you like on the internet. There are sources. Um, but anapests are three syllables long, and it's an unstressed syllable with another unstressed syllable, and then a stressed one. Um, a great example is "Twas the night before Christmas." It has two anapests in it. Bum 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 bum. Right, and it has this kind of looping, circular, almost like waltzy motion to it. Mm-hmm. You look like you're going to say something. No, no, I'm okay. just listening. I'm listening um, intently. And it was actually it was pretty common in. Uh, older british poets uh you know twas the night before christmas comes comes from that tradition also apparently the national anthem or the text for our our american national anthem is written in a bunch of anapests okay uh by francis scott key the, def- the defense of fort henry or fort- good job frank yeah frank key <laughs> um and it's it's just interesting because i think it gives it a really cool sing-song quality that you kind of take for granted when you're just like, oh, I'm reading Dr. Seuss. Everything rhymes and yada, yada, yada. But I don't know. I like it a lot. I think it's worth noting that because you could you could really mess up a Dr. Seuss book if you don't know the rhythm. Yeah. Oh, also, the places also, you'll go. <laughs> I like his penchant for making up words to satisfy, like, syllable and rhyme requirements. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll have a couple examples of those today. Uh, oh yeah, no. Okay, here's here's I'm gonna. All right, let's let's jump right into the Lorax. Um, let me. Get, okay, the the short version is that there's this creature named the Wunzler who lives in this dilapidated house, um, and he's telling a story to a kid about the Lorax and like the day that the Lorax went away. Okay, and um. So you won't see the Wunzler. Don't knock at his door. He stays in his lurkim on top of his store. He lurks in his lurkim, cold under the roof, where he makes his own clothes out of Miff Mufford Moof. <laughs> but you kind of know exactly what that stuff is, even though yeah. it's not real. Yeah, Miff Mufford Moof, of course. Kind of a genius <laughs> of Dr. Seuss there. Now, you had not read the Lorax before, right? What did you know about the Lorax? Um, I knew that Dr. Seuss probably would not have liked the movie, The Lorax. Re- wh- really? Did you see the movie? I did not see the movie. Okay. No. I just know that um, The Lorax is about like the short-sightedness of businessmen. Or, you know, it's it's kind of about that. That's part of what it's about. Um, and The Lorax, the film, was like this unabashedly commercial cash grabby terrible thing that they made i don't know i i have not seen the film laura will defend it she seemed to enjoy it and, and thought it was at least true to the book in spirit whether or not the marketing of the film was true to the book in spirit all right and there was a pretty good lorax exhibit at the zoo when i went to the zoo that year did they have loraxes Where no did they get them? idiot <laughs> <laughs> they had they had like a room that was kind of using the Lorax as a jumping off point to remind all the kids that their terrible behavior will kill all their favorite animals if they're not careful. 
Okay, I think I think that's pretty true to the tone of the book. <laughs> so here's the here's the main story, and it's it's told. You know, you have this frame narrative with the kid talking to the onceler. You know, after all the trees and stuff are gone, and the the landscape is a very muted green, and the only grass that's left has a really this weird name that I'm trying to find right now. There's Huffle, um, the other. Gricklegrass. Oh, I was going to say Hufflepuff trees, and that's not true. <laughs> Ten points to Hufflepuff. <laughs> um, so uh, when the Wunsler first came to this this particular patch of land, it was very bright and very green, and there were swomy swans uh, singing, yep. and uh, there were like humming fish, and there were brown barbalutes <laughs> who basically look like little little bears you are the perfect audience for doctors <laughs> <laughs> um and there are all these really colorful trees called truffle trees yes 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 and so the onceler shows up in his onceler wagon that says onceler wagon on the side of it duh <laughs> and he pulls off some of the colorful tufts off the truffle trees and he discovers it's really fast, really soft, and really cool. And so he chops a tree down, and he takes the tuft off the top of it, and he makes a thneed. Uh-huh. T-H-N-E-E-D. Yep, thneed. Which basically looks like a weird sweater, like a <laughs> like a weird bad sweater. Like your aunt made you a sweater, you better wear Aunt Susie's thneed. When yeah, she comes like I'm over looking at the month. first, the picture of the first one that the Onceler makes, and it's like a sweater, but like one of the arm and leg holes converge into a single hole. Ew! <laughs> it's like if I made a sweater, that's what would happen. Yeah, no, it, it would look just like this. And the Lorax shows up. He's like, "Dude, why'd you cut this tree down for? Why'd you do that? I speak for the trees because the trees can't talk and." But if they could talk, they would be mad that you cut them down to make that weird sweater. And the monster's like, well, everybody needs a thneed. And the Lorax is like, what? And then some, um, the very next, the very next minute I proved he was wrong for just at that minute, a chap came along and he thought that the thneed I had knitted was great and he happily bought it for three ninety eight. That's pretty great. That's an yeah. awesome rhyme. <laughs> Also, I like that your sum- your summary of the Lorax makes him sound like Omar from The Wire. Like he's just shown his... <laughs> like, what? How's that work? What is, this, what is just... the deal here? Lorax coming. <laughs> I, th- I think you think he sounds like Omar from The Wire because you're watching. That's true. The Wire. And when... Uh, yeah, the first time I watched through The Wire, like, my whole world suddenly became populated with Wire references that I finally got. That's, so. <laughs> that's true. You know, come at the Lorax, you best not miss, Andrew. Yeah, right. Um, so the Wunsler is like, well, this is a this is a, a financial opportunity for me and my family. So he <laughs> invites all his other Wunsler relatives to come and start chopping down more trees and making more th- needs. And he, you know, he invents a machine that can cut the trees down more quickly, and he builds up his factory and um and he keeps he keeps expanding his business um business is business and business must grow is the is the line 
But, you know, as he cuts down more trees, like the lake gets polluted, the uh, bar- the brown barbalutes leave, the hummingfish leave, whatever the swans are called, they leave because everything's <laughs> getting all polluted and stuff. And then eventually he chops down the last the last tree and then it gets sad. The Lorax all of his relatives, like, out. Yeah, the Lorax stands on this little pedestal thing and he just like he <laughs> the Lorax said nothing, just gave me a glance, just gave me a very sad, sad backward glance. Rhyming glance with glance, by the way, is a little lazy, Dr. Seuss. Come on. It's probably he's probably making a point. It's all he was doing. As he lifted himself by the seat of his pants, and I'll never forget the grim look on his face when he heisted himself and took leave of this place through a hole in the smog without leaving a trace. And the picture is very, it's it's the Lorax holding himself up by his, like, he doesn't have pants on. Mm -hmm. So he's just lifting, like, his butt skin (laughs) and flying into the sky. And he leaves this little pedestal that says unless on it. And unless means... You know, unless you do something, then everything's just going to stay terrible. Yeah. Forever. Okay. And at the end, he, he, the onceler displays some regret for the stuff that has happened, and he gives the kid the last truffle seed, and that's where the book ends, but you would like to think that this kid takes the seed and gives it, you know, give it clean water and feed it fresh air, grow a forest, protect it from axes that hack, then the Lorax and all of his friends may come back. So the implication is that maybe if this kid plays his cards right, he can revive the forest and undo all the stuff that the Wantzler did. But it's going to take a lot of work. Well, so theoretically, that kid with the seed is the reader, right? Like you read, you know, go I out mean, there. He's a, and... he's a kid and it's a kid's book, so I I guess... The kids would all see themselves in that kid. That's the hope, right? Yeah. This the seed is not just the literal seed, but it's the knowledge that you have to go out there and save the world. Right? Sure, sure. I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> that's, that's that's in play. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do you, what do you like the book? What do you? I mean, it's it's talking about it is great because the the words that seuss uses are so great but mm-hmm. i mean a lot of this is the you know the the pictures are really i mean it's all it's big it's full color it's really it really drives home like you could see the sky and the landscape getting just grayer as as it is taken apart by the onceler yeah that's that's kind of one of the things that seuss has in his favor here right is that he can just kind of show you how terrible you're being to the environment through a right, series and of images that's, that's the part that will hit home with kids who you know who may or may not be getting everything out of the <laughs> the words that an adult might get but, yes but yeah i mean it's it's pretty straightforward it's about it's about balancing like your quote-unquote need for stuff with the needs of the environment around you, making sure that there is stuff left for the people who come after you. And um, I don't know, just, just generally trying to be respectful and careful of your environment because taking one thing can change everything. Like once all the trees start coming down, all the animals start leaving and it just totally changes the ecosystem and it 
changes all the stuff that everyone liked about that particular patch of land in the first place. So, yeah, this is sort of bumming me out right now. It's yeah, I mean it. It's not the feel good story of the year, but the <laughs> it ends on a hopeful note. I think. Well, does it? You said it. It talks about like balancing your own needs with that of the environment around you. Does it address that at all? Because in my recollection, it's really just. You know, don't you dare destroy these these yeah, beautiful I mean, trees. Yeah, I mean, no, it, it's don't you dare destroy this group of trees. There's no there's no middle ground where, like, the Wunzler plants a tree for every need that he makes. Like, there's no, yeah, there's not there's not really that middle ground. And I think Seuss probably does that to avoid sending mixed signals or like confusing the kids. Yeah, it's it's easier to say protect the thing, and then you'll. F- You'll figure out how to get yours later, you know. Yeah, yeah. and it's sort of—I it, mean, it's—I don't know if I would say it's anti-capitalism, but it does seem to imply that unchecked capitalism and consumerism is a destructive force in the world. I guess. Yeah, because he—I mean—he does seem to be making value judgments about businesses that just try to grow and grow and grow because that's what businesses have to do. And they don't really take anything else into consideration, you know? Yeah, there was apparently a controversy in the late 80s about the book and its negative opinions on the logging industry, (laughs) which I think is just like, come on, stop it. And someone powerful logging lobby. Yeah, someone wrote a like a something called the true axe, which is like the true story about the logging industry. (sighs) Okay. Which is a really narrow reading of the book, right? It's not like kind of what you're saying. It, it yes, it is a tract about environmentalism and and preserving your environment, but it's also just about business in general. The fact that it names kind of currency in the book and and talks about that type of interaction, I think, is very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and it prevents it from just being about chopping down trees, and right? Reaching a larger responsibility. Uh, yeah, it's about finding balance, I guess. And it's, I get, you know, you could also see the Wunzler's, like, incursion into this land as, like, I don't know, being against outside invading forces coming in and, and changing up something that it doesn't understand, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, coming into coming into a place and, and taking all the resources. Yeah. <laughs> consequences uh well it's it's you know, interesting nor- because the onceler likes the place yes he comes into and he is you know he at the end he's sad that it's changed and he's come around but even in the middle when the animals are all leaving he's kind of sad to see them go but you know my business got get bigger so see ya yeah that's see the important later. that's the important thing i think is that he has to love the place and then you can you can if you're trying to teach someone to be better than this, it's like, yeah, you love it, but you might not notice that you're ruining it, even yeah. despite you, you know, saying that you are really uh, appreciative of of this thing that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, that was the Lorax. Yeah, there you go. I read "Oh, the Places You'll Go," which I okay. I don't. <laughs> I'm just making an abrupt shift. I'm just, just doing it. <laughs> uh, I have not. I had never really heard of this book. I don't know how I graduated from two schools. Never heard of it. I, I'd never heard of it. I definitely I got it as a present for my high school graduation. I don't know if we have it here or if it's at my parents' house still, but 
Yeah, definitely it was a graduation gift. Is often out of stock in April and May, <laughs> I've found. When I was hunting around for books for this episode, I was in a in a Barnes and Noble, like an actual bookstore, um, and there was a whole display just devoted to this book. <laughs> uh which I'm sure is that what you made know. you decide to read it, or what was the what was that the was one that, that was the like oh I, you know I haven't heard of that one I haven't read that one and Laura who's standing right there was like what are you talking about <laughs> have you ever read that book <laughs> kind of the reaction you've just given me um, yeah so I read that book and it's interesting because it it was one of the last ones that he wrote if not the last right um, I definitely one of the last I'm not sure if it was he the passed last. away in 1991. And he wrote this. It was published in 1990. Uh, so it's pretty late. So definitely getting up there. Um, and it kind of reads, it reads as a graduation speech. Like it reads as a, you are embarking on an adventure called life. And here's what's going to happen. Um, and it's, it's kind of structured a little bit differently in that it's like there isn't a real character. The character is the reader in a way. Um, cause it's all written in second person. Um, and there is a, like a little kid wearing like a yellow jumpsuit kind of walking <laughs> through the book and like a cool hat to go along with it. Mm-hmm. But he, it's clearly a, the book is, is saying that this is you, the reader or, or the listener, if the book is being read to you. Right. Yeah. Um, so it starts with, you know, congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. So you're great and you're going to be great and you have brains in your head and you have feet in your shoes <laughs> great like i don't know what that means like you're you're smart and you're able i guess is what he's saying yeah yeah um and you're going to get to decide shoes. where you go and then this is one of my favorite pages it's like the third page in the book it's like you're wa- you're walking through this town and you're not sure where you're going to go but you have the power to decide and you can decide to go places if you know, you can go down a different street if you don't like the one you're on. And there's this shot of this, like, dragon thing coming out of a sewer. And he looks really perturbed that you're not going his direction. <laughs> it's pretty oh, great. No. Um, so then you walk straight out of town. You go out into the open world. And there's, like, elephants. And it's pretty great. <laughs> I like that that's... Either Seuss's interpretation or your interpretation of what the world is like is like, oh, come, we have elephants. Well, he says you're going to walk. Everybody. He says you're going to walk out of town. And then there's a shot where it's this kid looking, walking through fields that kind of look like crop circles, but we'll leave that. We'll leave that be. Okay. And then he's on a hill with some elephants and it looks like a pretty fun time. And then he goes into this page and it says, oh, the places you'll go. And he's flying, you know, you're flying in balloons and everything's looking great. So the first third of the book is like, your life is great and you're going to be the best and you're going to lead all of your friends. And then it turns the page and this kid's hot air balloon is like stuck on a tree and it's deflated. And let me let me just do this page turn for you, Andrew. Okay. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Except when you don't. <laughs> because sometimes you won't. <laughs> Let it be known that don't and won't are in italics, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty forceful of Dr. Seuss. Yeah, I think especially in like the modern era of helicoptered parenting and 
insisting that your kids are the best all the time. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's great. It's, it's perfect. I see why it is the graduation present that it is, right? Because mm-hmm. it spends a really long time relative to the rest of the book uh, setting up how wonderful you, the reader, are and acknowledging that you can go anywhere and do anything. And then the book is just like, listen, it's not going to happen sometimes. It sometimes. Yeah, like, and it's okay that it doesn't happen. Yeah. When it doesn't happen. Uh, and then the next part of the book that's really kind of at least struck me, uh, struck me funny and, and you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> after the kid gets out of the balloon, he ends up in what, what is, what Seuss calls a slump, like a literal place. And he talks about how it's hard to get unslumped, which I think is funny. Oh. Yeah, right. That's too real. <laughs> funny, and, <laughs> funny and a little too real. Yeah. This book is sort of too real. Uh, and he, the, the kid wanders to what he calls the waiting place. And there's this great big page where there's like 40 people uh, all over the all over the all over the page, and he sees people just waiting. And I'm going to read these these two pages because it's kind of a stark break from the rest of the book in terms of it's just a big list of stuff, whereas the rest of the book has been um, pretty inviting to the reader. Mm-hmm. So. It's the waiting place for people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or no or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Um, it's pretty great. It's pretty sad. <laughs> like, Does it make any like value judgments about or anything about people who are just waiting or is this just the part of the book that says, you know, sometimes... You're just going to have to kill some time. <laughs> well, he calls it a weirdish wild space, uh, a most useless place, the waiting place. Uh, so he's and all of the people on that page are like this really dull purple or gray. Uh, they, they don't look happy. They look kind of upset. Yeah, so I, I can't th- tell if he's saying, you know, everybody has to wait sometimes or people who sit around and wait without doing anything are dumb (laughs) well i think he's kind of saying that these people are waiting for other things to give them what they want rather than going out and getting them okay i can see that the second page of that is waiting for the fish to bite or waiting for wind to fly a kite or waiting around for friday night or waiting perhaps for their uncle jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance uh, so you kind of see all these people who, like one guy is sitting next to a telephone and the wire goes to nowhere and he's just like waiting for a call. Uh, there's someone just sitting there with skis and there's no snow and there's a girl staring at a pot of tea. Like all of these people are kind of putting the next step of life on something else or on someone mm-hmm. else. Right. Um, and he says, no, you'll, you won't, that won't happen to you. Uh, you'll go on and, and you'll play games and everyone will you'll be famous because you'll be great at it and everyone will pay attention to you except when they don't because sometimes they won't <laughs> <laughs> and then the next kind of bad thing that happens to you is that you might be alone and he says alone will be something you'll be quite a lot um, and when you're alone there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants which is pretty crazy um <laughs> And it's kind of this, uh, I was reading and I was thinking like, for a kid who is either graduating high school or graduating college and going out into the world, 
talking about like going out there and and being on your own there's a different type of on your own than when you're a little kid right yeah when you're a little kid even if you're like up in your room by yourself you're still with your family um and most people are lucky enough to not experience that kind of loneliness when they're a little kid right yeah i mean you still have a safety net you still have responsibilities that you don't have to attend to like you know making enough money to get food and rent and stuff yeah um yeah so it's it's kind of acknowledging that that when you go out into the world there are going to be times where you're the only person who has control over anything and and you might just be off doing your thing and there might not be anyone around uh and then the next kind of sort of bad thing that can happen is that you might fall in with like a bunch of other people who are kind of doing their thing. And there's this really cool page where there's this repeating pattern of uh, birds like walking in various lines and, and the kid is kind of lost in the middle of them. And Zeus says that you'll get mixed up and you won't know where to go. Uh, and there are lots of people kind of doing their lots of strange birds, he says. Mm-hmm. Um, so be sure when you step, step with care and great tact and remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft and never mix up your right foot with your left. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> the next page. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three quarter percent guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think is kind of awesome. Just watch out for that last last one and one quarter percent, I, know. I guess. It's, kind of, it's a great book. Um it, but it gets a little dark. Like it's it's the cover is very bright and I think if most people were asked to describe it, they would probably their one sentence synopsis would probably be, Well, you know, you'll go everywhere and do everything without without maybe dwelling as much on the stuff about eh, you might fail, eh, you might get into a slump, eh, you might get caught waiting, eh, not everything's gonna be great all the time. Well, I, I think the the greatest strength of the book is that it's not just mites right he says it will have like you will fail <laughs> you oh, will yeah. <laughs> be alone um and you will wander through this place where people are waiting and you know not going anywhere in their lives and then he says and you will push through it so it's very there's no there's no kind of like challenge offered it's just like this will happen to you yeah. The, I guess the challenge offered there is just deal with it. <laughs> um, the last line of the book is, uh, so get on your way. So it's just like, don't be afraid, just go. Um, there were a couple times where I was reading it, and I got a little... It did hit a little home. <laughs> it was yeah. a little real at times. Um, well, because I guess, you know, it's been 10 years since high school for both of us. It's been... Six since oh, college. Oh jeez. Which which let's not let's not talk too much about it. But no. <laughs> it's enough time for us to have gone through a lot of the stuff ourselves already. Yes. And so I think something, you know, something that is lived experience means that you I don't know, you, you get hit a little bit harder than when it's just advice that exists in the void and you know, how do you know this stuff's going to happen to me? How do you how do you know all this stuff is going to 
transpire as you as you say it will and then once you're out and doing it for a little while it becomes clear that yeah that's pretty much how it goes <laughs> yeah there was there's a little bit of knowledge you know experience and, and life experience that i've already had that was like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> oh the places i went all oh, the places i've been um <laughs> and the this book does a very similar thing visually as we were talking about with the lurex you know it's it's bright colors bouncy it's exciting um there's lots of implied fun motion happening and then the shots where things are not great are these kind of muted blues and grays that kind of bum you out and Mm -hmm. try to scare you and spook you there's one of the few pages where there's kind of one of those invented words that you like so much andrew is the the main character is kind of canoeing through this really nasty lake and there's these things called the hacking cracks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they just they look like really sad grinches that are coming up out of the water and screaming um and the hack and cracks howl which is the, and it's just like i don't know what they're supposed to represent um but they're just the monsters that you have to face um in your life mm-hmm. the great ocean of life <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you could get up instead of giving any commencement speech and just read this book and people would get the point. I mean, I think that it's not uncommon for that to happen. Like, read <laughs> Oh, the Places You'll Go, play that Green Day Time of My Life song, and then you're out of high school. Like, I think actually if you do those things in that order, somebody has to send you a high school diploma. That's, that's what I've heard. They don't. They won't tell you that, but that's actually all that you have to do to get one. Actually, I get an honorary degree every time I listen to that song. <laughs> so many GEDs just falling out of my sleeves over here. <laughs> uh, other thing, Dr. Seuss uh, characters that we didn't cover today that people mentioned um, as their favorites were uh, Jill said that she liked the fox, which I think is the the fox and socks. Fox and socks, I think. Which I don't, I don't really have clear memories of. I know that's a book mostly filled with tongue twisters. I remember reading it, and I remember the book had the picture of a fox in socks on the cover to really drive the point home. But I don't, I don't remember the, I don't remember which of life's many hardships that it was trying to tell me about. I don't know. Yeah, when I was reading about that book, I don't think there's. It's just the difficulty of language i think i'm not sure um selwa mentioned the lorax as her favorite character uh laura wanted me to bring up the grinch which i think to me is kind of taken a, a life of it's taken on a life of its own beyond just the dr seuss canon because it's so yeah. wrapped up in christmas right yeah um, um Susanna really likes the sneeches one um, wants to and... deal with the sneeches you I... should ask her sometime because she can recite most of it from oh memory. god <laughs> okay um, and then my, the, actually the first book that I read myself, Ooh. and I have a clear memory of doing this and feeling like I was a big deal, was uh, Green Eggs and Ham. Yeah, that's a good book. Yeah. I'm also partial to One Fish, Two Fish. One Fish, Two Fish is good. Um, Mr. Brown Can Moo Can You was a, <laughs> was a favorite of mine. And can we just real quick just toss out there so everyone knows, kept the cat in the hat's a real big jerk. He's a, oh, he's totally a jerk. He got those he kids in trouble. He comes over to your house and makes your tub dirty. And <laughs> that's the first thing I think of. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've cleaned those rings out of tubs. <laughs> tubs are notoriously hard to clean anyway. Why yeah, making it so dirty. Thanks, cat. Thanks, he tries cat. to clean it with a dress, and then 
I don't remember all the intermediate steps, but gradually he gets it all over the house and then all over all the snow. Oh, he ruins everything. Oh, cat's not in He's an agent of house. chaos is what he is. <laughs> uh, Jocko... The cat in the hat is chaotic good. Yeah. To continue our stop D&D it. character no, alignment stop talk it. from stop last it. week. Stop it. Uh, Jocko tweeted at us about some lion that bites his tail and doesn't feel it for like a day. Uh, I don't know what book he's talking about. That might be a short story. Or okay, but, yeah. Some some of Seuss's books were collections of stories, as you as you noted. I was looking. I'm looking at the list of titles. I wanted to see if "Oh, the Places You'll Go" was his last, and it was the last published during his lifetime. Mm. Though there have been a few posthumous ones, mostly illustrated by other people. What was the one we almost read? That was like "You're Only Old Once." That book. Oh yeah, um, which is about. <laughs> how much it sucks to be old <laughs> it's so random like and um, it's... my favorite title that i'm seeing okay in this list is i can lick 30 tigers today and other stories I... where they mean lick as in like beat up but <laughs> i read lick as in like lick <laughs> me too that's one of my favorite i think yurtle the turtle is one of my favorite like just sensory that's a fun title to say I like that. I like how that one sounds. Yurtle, Yurtle the turtle is kind of a jerk too, but he gets his. He does get his when the proletariat rises up. <laughs> yeah, fascist turtle. Oh, uh, and Hop on Pop yeah. can't can't end this discussion without mentioning Hop on Pop. No. Um, so yeah, this was this was Children's Book Week. We read Doctor Seuss. We talked about Doctor Seuss. Uh, Children's Book Week was founded in the 1910s. Um, because some guy said that a great nation is a reading nation. I think that guy was Franklin Matthews. <laughs> um, no, that was actually Frederick Melcher. But never mind. I'm just going <laughs> to name names of people we've never heard of. Um, and every week, every year, excuse me, you should spend a week uh, reading some good children's books. I, okay, I just found, I was looking at the Hop One Pop page oh, and I no. found something that happened in April of this year. Oh, no. Okay. Where uh, a Canadian, uh, the Toronto Public Library was asked to ban Hop on Pop because it encourages children to use violence against their fathers. I can't, I can't <laughs> abide that. Oh, one of the things we did. You've got to end this, the continuous stream of hop on pop inspired violence oh in this country. God. Why did you do How it? How many pop? 12 million pops were hopped on last year. <laughs> one of the things we didn't talk about with Horton Here's a Who is that uh, apparently a, a pro life movement tried to use the quote from, like, you know, a person's a person no matter how small. Yes. And Dr. Seuss famously wrote to them and said, please don't use my book. Stop. <laughs> I would like you yeah. to retract my words from your from your messaging. I don't think that stopped people from from appropriating that line, but yeah, I, I thought that was neat. So anyway, uh, I want to thank people who have been uh, reaching out to us on our Twitter and Facebook pages. That's twitter.com slash overdue pod. Same thing for Facebook. Uh, I want to thank Lee and Kim Whitsend and Writing Renee, Jocko, of course, uh, Jen Await 89. I don't know what those numbers are about. And uh, Bookworm Kara as well, all on Twitter. And Amanda, uh, Brandon, and Lee for joining us on the Facebook page. Uh, and that's a great way to interact with us and uh, give us 
recommendations for the show or kind of check out some ancillary content. We found a couple good pages this week, so check those out. You can also write in to overduepod at gmail.com if you have something that's a little bit longer than a Facebook post or a tweet to tell us about. Uh, anything else, Andrew? Um, you can also find all the stuff on our webpage at overduepodcast.com. Um, we've got links to all the stuff we just mentioned, um, as well as Amazon links to the books that we have read and that we are going to read. Um, and if you click those links and buy the books, whether you you know hear about a book on the show that you think sounds interesting or if you want to read along, um, we get a tiny percentage of of not just the book that you buy, but anything that you buy after clicking that <laughs> link. So if you're thinking about buying like a car from Amazon, I don't even I don't think you can do that, but. If you want to click through our link first before you do that, that would be great because that helps us defray hosting costs and some other things. And we also got links to our RSS feed, which you can use to subscribe to the show um, in your, I guess, podcatcher is the is Stop the term it. people use. Yep. Um, and then if you've got um, a Mac or an iPhone or an iPad, we have a link to our iTunes store page. And when you subscribe in iTunes, if you wanted to rate and review us, it just takes a couple of seconds and it really helps the show out. It helps people find it, helps it rise in the rankings and, and, you know, all that good stuff. Anything else, Craig? No, that's it. I'm reading the giver for next week. Okay, cool. So that's what I got for you. It's going to be good. Hopefully. Um, Okay. (laughs) Until then, everybody try to be happy.